we are in a series called People Joining Jesus, and, and, and we are a church about doing that, okay? In fact, our mission statement is simply this. We join people seeking purpose, and we offer life through Jesus Christ. And last week, we took a look at the presumed adulterous woman who joined Jesus and was transformed as a result of worship. Today, we're going to take a look at a person, a corrupt government official. We don't have any of those, okay? Just hypothetical. But uh, we're going to take a look at this corrupt government official who joins Jesus. Now, Jesus was always hanging out with the outcasts, the down and outs, the ruffians. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you want to share the good news, you want to share it with people that don't know it. And so you spend time with people that you don't necessarily agree with, and they wouldn't necessarily agree with you. You have dinners with them. You have dinners with atheists and, and agnostics and LGBTQ people. And, and most of all, you spend time with liberals because they are very, they're sinners, aren't they, you know? Just to reach out, just to build a bridge with people doesn't mean that you agree with them. I mean, can you imagine today if Jesus was on this earth doing ministry, what the bloggers would say about him? Oh my, Jesus had dinner with a prostitute. Jesus had dinner with a corrupt government official. Jesus had dinner with a sinner, a leper, a person with AIDS, with a, a Muslim. Jesus' answer to all these critics was always the same. The well don't need a doctor, only sick people do. Jesus said many, many times, I didn't come for the, the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. I didn't come for those people who think they got it all together, who don't need to be saved. No, I have come for people who know that they are broken. I have come for people who are insecure. Folks, I've been doing ministry almost 40 years, 20 28, 29 years in this community, Collin County. And I can just tell you this, everybody is insecure somewhere. And you may sit here and you may say, George, I don't know if that's true about me. Oh yeah, it is. You give me 30 minutes over a cup of coffee at McDonald's, knee to knee and face to face, and I guarantee you this, we will discover together what your insecurities are. You see, insecurities are those things that, that, that we don't want people to know. And because we don't, what happens is that the bottom falls out of our life, doesn't it? If your marriage is going to hell in a handbasket, if your finances are tanking, if your business is failing and you don't get help and you don't open up, I'll tell you why you don't. It's your insecurities. Well, what if I really tell a counselor about what's going on? He might not like me. Guess what that's called? That's called insecurity. The truth is one of our deepest needs that you and I have is to feel secure. It's to feel valued. It's to, to know that our life matters, that, that we're significant. And because this is a deep need in each and every one of our lives, we are constantly evaluating and comparing ourselves with other people. We do it consciously and we do it unconsciously. And as a result, oftentimes, we choose the wrong value system. We choose the world's value system. Before we jump into this story, I just want to mention these four pretty common 
worldly value systems. And I do so because I want you to understand that God's value system is completely different than the world's value system. The first way that people oftentimes misjudge their value is through appearance. How do I look? I mean, if I look good, then I must be good. If I don't look good, then I must be worthless. Folks, there's an entire industry built around this. It's called Hollywood. Hollywood's whole approach to life is about being, or is, uh, is about looking stunning. The only problem with that is that there aren't that many stunning people in the world. Most people are average looking. Just look to your left and look to your right. They just look like normal people, right? Except you. You look great, okay? God says that's not the value system that I want you to judge your worth, your significance on. The second way that we evaluate ourselves wrongly is by affluence. Affluence is what I own. You see, the myth of materialism in essence says this, if I've got a lot, then I must be worth a lot. But if I'm poor, I must be worthless. You've heard me say many times, never connect your self-worth with your net worth because they have nothing to do with one another. If there is a recession and your self-worth is connected to your net worth, you will go from a recession to depression. I've seen a lot of people, when their businesses hit the toilet, their personal feelings about themselves hits the toilet. Your values and valuables don't, net, don't go together. And yet that's what the world says, and it's not true. The third way that we oftentimes misvalue ourselves is through achievement. What I've accomplished. If I get a lot of things done, if I reach my goals, if I get, uh, I don't know, promoted, if I have and make, uh, get a trophy, then I must be worth a lot. You know what that creates in our culture? It's called workaholism. And it drives us, doesn't it? Because we want to feel important. We want to feel great. And there's nothing wrong with feeling great. But that kind of value system could ruin your health. The fourth way is through approval. This is basing your worth on how well I'm liked. If I am liked a lot, then I must be worth a lot. If I'm not liked, then I must be worthless. Some of you have been trying your whole life to win the approval of someone that you will never win it from. May I just say this? You don't need it. You don't need their approval. Your happiness is not dependent upon the approval of others. If you build your life on what other people think of you, you're going to be devastated when they criticize you. If you build your life on the thinking, you know what, I wonder what other people are thinking about me. You have an addiction. It's called approval of others. Studies have found that you and I tend to base how we feel about ourselves on what the most important person in our life thinks about us. That is where our self-esteem comes from. Now, if that is true, and it is, I would suggest that you make the most important person in your life Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ loves you unconditionally. He doesn't love you if, he doesn't love you because, he doesn't love you for, he loves you, period. Now the problem with these four things, 
for appearance, affluence, achievement, and approval is that they are all unreliable sources of security. Beauty fades. Would anybody like to give a story about that right now? Successes are surpassed. Others will reject you. Possessions wear out. Folks, the only true foundation for self-worth for feeling good about yourself is understanding how much you matter to God. And that is what we're going to look at this morning. If you get what I'm telling you this morning, I wanna tell you this, it will change your life. It will set you free from the expectations of others. It will set you free from the grip of materialism. It will set you free from the pressure of workaholism. Folks, if you and I get this today, it will transform your life. And a great example of this is in Luke chapter 19 with a guy named Zacchaeus. Now here's the background of what's going on in Jesus's ministry. We've all heard of final tours with rock groups, right? Generally you buy a t-shirt and it's their final tour and they got a list of all the cities that they have gone to or are going to. Well, Jesus is on his final tour. He is going through city after city after city. He is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be rejected by the elders, by the, his people. He's going to go to the cross. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to resurrect. And what he is doing on his final tour is he is gathering disciples and he is driving down his value system into them so that when he leaves, they can take it and impact their world, and not just their world, but the world to come. And so we find Jesus on this tour, and he goes into the town of Jericho. Look at this, out of Luke 19, one through 10. And Jesus was going through the city of Jericho. A man was there named Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was too short to see above the crowd. So he ran ahead to a place where Jesus would come, and he climbed a sycamore tree to, to, so he could see him. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down. I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus came down quickly and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to complain. Jesus is staying with a sinner but Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house today. This man is a true son of Abraham. And I, the son of man, have come to seek and to save people like him who were lost. This is an amazing story. In the four ways that we wrongly value ourselves, Zacchaeus has struck out on three out of four of them. In the first place, Zacchaeus strikes out when it comes to appearance. Folks, he doesn't like his appearance. The Bible says that he was short. He was so short that he couldn't see over the crowd. That word short in the Greek describes a body of an under, underdeveloped child. In other words, he was a dwarf. And because of his stature, physical stature, because of his shortness, you and I know that as a kid, he was ridiculed for that. He was called, hey, small fry. Hey, mosquito boy. Hey, peewee. 
Hey, Stumpy, kids can be cruel, can they not? They can be, they can be cruel on the playgrounds of life. And Zacchaeus is coming up short there. Secondly, he's not liked by anybody. His approval rating, according to clear politics, was zero, okay? He was the chief tax collector. Folks, no, he was like an IRS agent. Nobody likes an IRS agent, do they, okay? If you're sitting next to one, you probably don't like them. Don't, don't tell them what you, you do for a living, okay? But you wouldn't invite an IRS person to come over to your house and say, hey, I want you to do an audit on me. No! Folks, it was even worse back then because to become a tax collector, what you had to do is you had to bribe the official who appointed you to that position because they, they knew you were going to make a lot of money. And Rome didn't care how much money you made off people. All they wanted was a percentage. And so tax collectors back then were like the mafia. You know what the mafia does? I'm, I'm going to make you an offer that you cannot refuse, okay? They were the godfather of the day. And if you did not give it off to jail, you went. Thirdly, these tax collectors were working for Rome. Rome was an invading country, which meant that these tax collectors were viewed as traitors. And so without a shadow of a doubt, Zacchaeus was disowned by his family and he was disowned from his faith. Folks, he couldn't go to church, if I could put it that way. He couldn't go to the synagogue. His clear poll politics was zero, okay? On top of this, he didn't even like himself. Now you may sit there and say, well, how do you know that, Pastor George? It's because he wasn't proud of his achievements. Yes, he's got position and power and possessions, but folks, he got them illegally. He got them through extortion. And you can't feel good about yourself and guilty at the same time. Those things don't mix. It's like oil and water. You can't, you can't give up your integrity and be harmonious within and have peace at the same time. And so he lost all self respect. Yes, he's got lots of money. He lives probably in the best of the best, and yet he is lonely. He is unhappy. He is miserable, and he feels hopeless, as, mu as, as does much of our culture in Collin County. We're over a million strong, and though there are a lot of people, there are so many people that are lonely and they feel hopeless. But one day, Zacchaeus does a 180, and what happens? Jesus shows up, and he joins himself with Jesus. Jesus is walking through Jericho, and of all the people he pays attention to, of all the people that he invites himself over to for dinner, he chooses the most unloved person, the most disrespected, the most evil, the most unappreciated person in the city. He chooses Zacchaeus. Jesus walks through this town, and when he gets to the place where Zacchaeus is at, this tree, where Zacchaeus is up, in order to see Jesus, he stops. And in this story, we see four truths of how much you and I matter to God. 
And the first one is simply this, that no matter how small I feel, Jesus notices me. As I said, Zacchaeus is wealthy, but folks, he's feeling so lonely. He hears that Jesus is coming into town. He doesn't know that it's his final tour, more than likely, but he knows that Jesus is coming. He climbs, well, he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus, and he does two things that are unbecoming of a wealthy Middle Eastern man. He climbs a tree. Wealthy Middle Eastern men didn't do that in those days. Only slaves did. And he ran Wealthy Middle Eastern men did not run. Slaves ran. His behavior is shocking. But what is more shocking is Jesus. Take a look at verse 3 in Luke 19. He was too short, but when Jesus got to the tree, he looked up. He stops at Zacchaeus' tree. It is a packed crowd, and he pays attention to Zacchaeus. He looks up. Can you imagine what Zacchaeus is thinking at this point in time? His heart must have jumped out of his chest. He's thinking, you know, all I was wanting was a glimpse of Jesus, and he stopped at my tree. He's noticing me. He's looking at me. He's thinking, you know what? I'm just too short. I'm insignificant. I'm overlooked. But Jesus is paying attention to me. Why did Jesus stop? at this tree, it's because he knew where Zacchaeus was at. Now let me just say this, because I wanna bring this into our world. I don't know what you're going through right now. You may feel like you are up a tree financially. You may feel like you are out on a limb relationally. You may feel like you've dug yourself in a hole spiritually, and no one knows about it. But God knows where you're at. He pays attention to you because you matter to him. You matter so much to him that he saw you when you were in your mother's womb. He saw you when you took your first breath. He saw you when you took your first step. He, he watches every season, every moment of your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You may feel like you are all alone, but you are not. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're at. He knows where you're going. He knows where you're going next week, next month, next year. He's going to be there on the day that you take your last breath. Folks, he knows you from beginning to end. How is that possible? It's because God is not limited by time or space. He's kind of like a helicopter uh, above a, a parade. And he sees the beginning of the parade and he sees the end of the parade all at once and everything else in between. And I want to tell you this. He has seen everything that has happened to you. Every word of abuse that you've experienced. Every unkind act that someone has done against you. He has seen it and he has weeped and he wept when it happened. No matter what you're going through, no matter where, what you've been through, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, you are not going through it alone. 
you may feel small, you may feel insignificant and lonely, but Jesus notices. Take a look at this verse. Notice what Jesus kind of said about this subject matter. In Luke chapter 12, 6 and 7, God never overlooks a single sparrow. And he pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. Do you know how many birds there are in the world? Between 100 and 400 billion birds. That's the estimation. Folks, that's a lot of birds. And God knows every one of them. And you want to know where they're at? They're always over my car after I wash it, okay? <laughs> but Jesus pays attention to them, okay? Wish he could shoo them away sometimes, but he pays attention to them. And yet Jesus says, those birds don't even compare to you. I know you inside and out because your life matters to me. Do you know what the greatest expression of love is? It's not flowers and it's not chocolates and it's not diamond rings. And by the way, it is not Best Buy cards, okay? And it's not McDonald's cards. You know what it is? It's attention. You see, when you give your attention, you are giving your time. And when you give your time, you are giving your life. And when you do that, you can't get it back. It is the greatest expression of love. And people in Collin County, people in our world, do not need more things. They need attention. They need attention. They need your attention. I'm going to do a series starting August 28th. Don't miss it. It's called The Fight. The fight for your marriage, the fight for your family, the fight for your friends, the fight for your relationship with God. And I chose the word fight because the world is fighting against those four things. And one of it is just materialism. Or one of those tools is materialism. Our relationships don't need more things. They need more attention. When my grandkids graduated in May from preschool, like a five-year-old, you know, I'm there. Saw my granddaughters and my grandsons, and guess what? They were looking. Look at me, mommy. Look at me, daddy. Look at me, grandpa. Well, guess what? You and I as adults are doing that today. Still, watch me as I drive my car. Watch me by me telling you what kind of vacation I had. Watch me by the clothes that I wear. Folks, you and I, too, crave attention. It's just a fundamental need. But if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're going to, let me put it like this, because Jesus was on his final tour, right? De raising up disciples and pounding in those values. If you want to be a disciple maker, where you disciple your spouse and your family and your friends and your workplace and the soccer field and the community that we're in, and the world that we are a part of, you and I need to give attention. The second thing that we learn from this story is that no matter who ignores me, Jesus notices me. Now, this is different from noticing. He just doesn't notice that you are one in 7.4 billion people. No, he knows you. He called Zacchaeus by his name. And think about that. 
all of his life, Zacchaeus was called <laughs> almost every name in the book. As a kid, he was rejected because of his stature. He was a, a, a dwarf, right? And he was called Peewee. And as an adult, he was rejected because he was associated with Rome and he ripped people off. But Jesus does something more shocking here. Take a look at this verse in verse 5. Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Imagine the shock. He knows my name. How did he know? How did Jesus know? The same way he knows your name. He made you. He created you. He's God. Now let me tell you this. God not only knows where you are, but he also knows who you are and what you're going through and why you're going through it. Folks, he knows you inside and out. He cares about you. He is not some impersonal force that Star Wars would have us believe, but rather he is a personal God. Jesus comes to this tree. He notices Zacchaeus. He tells him to come down from the tree. And he says to him, Zacchaeus. And the crowd around him are shocked. How does he know his name? Doesn't he know that he is a crook? And yet Jesus calls him by name, Zacchaeus. Do you know what Zacchaeus means? It means pure one. Zacchaeus was anything but pure. He was Mr. Corruption. He'd been called every name in the book. Liar, thief, scoundrel. Mr. Corruption. But Jesus calls him by his name. Zacchaeus. What is Jesus doing? He is affirming his potential rather than pointing out his past. You see, one of the principles, if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be a disciple maker, if you want to change your family, your marriage, you want to change this community that we live in, the world that we are a part of, you must help people reach their potential by affirming to them what or, yeah, what they want to be or what they've been created to be than who they are or what they're doing. I used to do this with my kids all the time. When they were growing up, I just rubbed their heads. You know, they were about that high. Now it's up here like that. Still today, I do this, okay? And I tell them, you're going to be daddy's little millionaire. <laughs> Never happened, okay? But you know what? I started out with this premise. I do not want my kids to be pastor's kids. I've heard too many stories about pastor's kids. I wanted my kids to be who God created them to be. And because they were affirmed, today, my daughter-in-laws think that I'm a king because my kids are affirming their wives. If you want your wife to treat you like a king, you better treat them like a queen. And where does that come from? Don't miss my series. It's affirming people. 
Now follow me with this. The reason that your friends are afraid to come to Christ and come to church and the reason that you don't want to get close to Christ is because you're afraid that he's going to nag you, that he's going to scold you, that he's going to wave his finger of correction at you and tell you everything that's wrong with you. Let me quote Rick Elliott. He's a friend of mine. Not. It's not going to happen. Jesus isn't that way. He looks at you as he did Zacchaeus and he says this, pure one, let's party. You see, Jesus was treating Zacchaeus the way he was created to be. I made you to be pure. Some of you have had some pretty mean things said to you in your life. You have been called every name in the book by your mom or your dad or by your so-called friends, or, or by your spouse. You've been told, guess what? You're nothing but a pile of, and you can fill in the blank. And I've heard those words in my office. And you won't amount to anything. You have been the brunt of cruel jokes, and you can still recall those today. And so as a result, you don't think of yourself very highly. Please remember this. Even though others have, met, have said mean and terrible things to you and have treated you like you were manure, they are wrong. You matter to God. And he looks at you and he says, pure one, let's party. And he just doesn't notice you as one out of 7.4 billion people. He knows you by name. And he says, Janine and Lauren and Michael and John and Jeff and Jim and Charlotte and Lanny, I know you. I know you by name. And so, no matter how small you feel, Jesus notices you. And no matter how or who ignores you, Jesus knows you. The third bigger one is this, that no matter what I've done, Jesus wants me. You see, Jesus' sin makes him feel guilty and ashamed. It isolates him from the world, though more than likely, it was about a town of about a 1,000 people in Jericho. He felt lonely and isolated. And so Jesus does something shocking. He invites himself over for dinner. He, he, he doesn't wait to be invited over for dinner. He invites himself over for dinner. Take a look at verse 5. Jesus said, come down quickly, for I'm going to be a guest in your home today. Folks, Zacchaeus would have never invited Jesus over for dinner because he didn't think of himself very highly. He, 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 he saw himself, I'm just a shrimp, I'm just a dwarf, I'm a sinner, I'm a cheat, I'm a scoundrel. And so Jesus takes the initiative. Now how quick do you think Zacchaeus came down from that tree? I'm going to tell you, he came down that tree in, in Olympic record-breaking time. He's thinking, I don't care if I get splinters up my butt. I'm down for Jesus, okay? I'm going for it, okay? This blew his mind. Now, let me state the obvious. 
you are ashamed of a lot of things in your life. Well, how do you know that, Pastor George? Because you're human. The Bible says all of us have sinned. That means even Pastor George. As a pastor, I've sinned. You know what my sins are. You see me every Sunday, okay? Just mention the word helicopter, okay? Woohoo! <laughs> I am a failed husband and a father. Well, we're doing survey. You can ask me any question. We're going to field them. Obviously, we can't answer everyone, but we're going to have, my wife is going to be up here. We're going to field questions, so you've got to send them in. And my sons are going to be here the following week. I'm a failed pastor and a husband and a wife. And guess what? I'm a failed grandpa, but don't tell my grandkids. They don't know that yet. That's why I like them more than my kids, okay? <laughs> They're just great. But you too fall short. Why? Because you're human. And we need to accept our humanity. And God says we've all sinned and fallen short. We all hurt other people with our own brand of selfishness, don't we? But Jesus comes in and he doesn't condemn you. Rather, he wants to change you. Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but rather to change it. If you want to be like Jesus and you want to be a disciple maker where you disciple your spouse and your family and your friends and the place of work, the community we live in, the world that we are a part of, you don't do it by condemning the world. Folks, I decided 28 years ago when I started LifePoint Church that this church was going to be personal, practical, and positive, that, that we were going to have a ministry like Jesus and so we weren't going to be condemning the world and our culture. Why? Because Jesus didn't condemn the world. He came to save it. Unfortunately, many Christians spend way too much time condemning the world, saying, you know what? The world is suck. The world sucks. And they go out and they look for a political solution to solve the suckiness of the world. Spending time condemning society won't change it. And looking for political solutions won't change it either. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he sent a politician. <laughs> Praise the Lord, okay? Why? Because hearts aren't changed through laws. It's only changed when a person begins to join Jesus and follow them. No law will change a racist, a bigot, into one who loves all races. That will only happen when people in our community join Jesus and follow Jesus. No law is going to turn selfish people who only think of themselves and live within their own little walls. Only Jesus can do that when you join him. Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to condemn it, but rather I came to save it. And so no matter what you've done, who you've done it with, where you've done it, Jesus wants you. I have a $50 brand new, somewhat unwrinkled dollar or bill. How many of us here would like this $50 bill? May I see your hands? 
May I see your hands? I'm, I, I know we don't have a church of dummies, okay? How many of us want this wrinkled, crumbled up $50 bill? May I see your hands? Hadn't changed your opinion? You stay down there. How many of us want this wrinkled, crumbled up, walked on, stomped on $50 bill? Oh, okay. Well, I'll give it to you. There you go. Yeah. Some of us have been discarded. We've been wrinkled up. We've been thrown away. We've been walked on. We've been stomped on. We've been told, don't you get up. You stay down there, you low life. But God looks at your life and he says, you have not lost one cent of your value. You matter to God. Regardless of the things that you've done, who you've done it with, where you've done it, and as many times as you've done it, you matter to him. And God looked at Zacchaeus as he looks at you and he says, I want you and I want to party with you. The fourth great truth that we learn from this is this, that no matter what others say about me, Jesus affirms me. You see, when Jesus states that he is going, he's inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house, okay? I think I might do that today. As you come by and greet, I might invite myself over. Depends if you're having casserole or steak, though. But anyway, he invites himself over, okay, for dinner, and people go nuts. Take a look at this verse in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to complain. Jesus is staying with a sinner. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. Jesus is staying with a sinner. And yet, what is Jesus' reaction? Notice in verse 10. This man is a true son of Abraham. And I, the son of man, have come to seek and to save people like him who were lost. Now, does that mean that Zacchaeus hadn't sinned? No, it doesn't mean that at all. He's just saying that Zacchaeus is in the family. He, he's affirming him. He's defending him. He's protecting him. And folks, that's what God does when you're in his family. Even when you get to heaven, God is not going to expose your sin for all of people in, in, in eternity future that are in heaven. He is going to protect you. He is going to defend you. He is going to affirm you. And he's telling Zacchaeus, guess what? You're one of my own. You're in the fam. How do we know this? Take a look at verse 6. And so he came down at once and he received him with joy. He received him with joy. Let me ask you this. Have you ever received Jesus with joy? Zacchaeus did it immediately. Can I just say this? We, we live in the Bible Belt of the South. There are eight churches at every intersection. And it's easy to think that you're a Christian because you know some things about Jesus. I would remind us, the devil 
believes and knows in Jesus, but he ain't going to heaven. It's more than just head knowledge. It is dropping Christ from your head into your heart. And how do we know that Zacchaeus did that? Because it radically transformed his life. Folks, you can't invite someone in as big as God into your life with it, without it radically transforming you. And Zacchaeus says to Jesus and to the crowd, I'll give half of my wealth away to the poor. And if I've robbed anybody of anything, I will give four times as much back to them. Folks, he is radically transformed. He is radically changed. And you can't, you can't have Jesus in your heart if it doesn't radically transform you. Let me put it like this for next weekend's message. You can't have God as big as he is in your life without him getting you outside the walls of your life. Jesus, Zacchaeus' first thing is he mentions the poor. He gets out of his comfort zone. Let me bring this to the series that we're going to start in February 28th. Or not February, August 28th. <laughs> you and I cannot have someone as big as God in our life. Jesus himself, through this Holy Spirit that abides within, as Scripture teaches us, without it transforming our marriages and our families and our friendships and yes, even our walk with Jesus. You and I matter to God. Let's live it and let's love it. Let's live, love, and let's laugh and enjoy this next year as we kick it off next Sunday. As I cast a little vision, message is going to be a little different. But as I cast a little vision, and then we jump off on August 28th with a new series. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you that through him we really understand what you're like that you are for us and not against us, that you notice us, that you know us by name, that our sin, as many as they are, don't affect your mindset. You love us unconditionally and that you are one who will defend us. God, I thank you for that. And today, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're one of those who have known a lot about Jesus, but you've never dropped him into your life and you dropped him into your heart and you know it because to be honest, your life hasn't been transformed. It hasn't changed. Will you do that this morning? Will you just say something as simple as this in your heart? God, I admit I'm a sinner. I've blown it, God. I have all kinds of flops, failures, and fumbles in my life. But I believe that you came, you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross, that you resurrected to prove that what you said, that I could be forgiven and that I matter to you. 
And so right now, God, I don't want to know you. I, w- I want to experience you, God. I want you to come in to my life right now. And if you prayed that prayer, as it, however you did, will you just let me know? On the connection card, will you just write your name, maybe an email address, draw the letter, or write the letter A and circle it saying, I've accepted Jesus. And when I get those the first part of the week, I'll mail you some literature that'll help you understand what you've just done. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you that we matter to you. Thank you that other people matter. May we know deep down inside of ourselves that we're valued by you so that we would value, God, those that are around us. We can't give what we don't have. And so God, do a deep work in our life. We give you this in your son's name. Amen.